Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran. You are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, I had a head start in life. It was kind of like hitting the exacta, having two loving parents who taught me by example everything important that I was going to need to build a great life for myself. My dad was a hardworking man. He was a printing press foreman by day and washed trucks at night because he had 10 kids to feed. He set a great example for all of us, and here's what I learned from him. Number one, fun is good for business. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've probably heard me talk on and on about the importance of having fun at work. Well, I learned that from my dad. You see, every kid in our town wanted to hang out with my father because he was the most fun dad. He would think of odd things to do all the time and include every kid in the neighborhood, even though he had 10 to care for himself. If it was a snowy day, he would stick his 10 kids on a long wooden ladder, shove us down the side yard. He'd jump on the last rung over a retaining wall and into oncoming traffic. And when the car wash opened, he took his kids to the car wash. But the difference was when we were about to go in that dark hole, he said, quick, quick, roll down the windows. So we got splashed with those big brushes in our heads. He thought that was the funniest thing in the world, and so did we. I've kept those pictures in my head throughout my career, from throwing the bizarre corporate parties that we regularly had at the Corcoran Group to the boondoggle trips that I now do with all the people in my office to the entrepreneurs that come on our party-loving retreats and we just have so much fun drinking a little too much and sharing all of our ideas. And I know that always the most productive people are people who are having fun. Number two, a good boss is so much more important than a good job. I learned this watching my dad. He was fired from a dozen jobs for insubordination until he finally found himself a really good boss that he liked. That took about 15 years. And in that time, All of his kids were already convinced that they never wanted to work for a boss. And that probably explains why nine out of 10 of the children in my family are all in business for themselves. I had 22 jobs before I started my own business. And I can tell you that I worked so much better for the good bosses. I had good ones and bad ones. And I can tell you, everyone does better work for a good boss. In fact, if you work for a bad boss long enough, you'll start believing there's actually something wrong with you, and there's not. It's just you work for a bad boss. So once more, a good boss is so much more important than a good job. Number three, everyone deserves a shot. My dad used to coach Little League in the summers, and he would always go to tryout day and announce the same thing. Give me your worst players. Now, why would he want that? Because he ended every season with the winning team. Because he had an ability to motivate these kids that weren't the least bit athletic and a lot shorter than every other kid in town. And here's how he did it. 
After they would have a practice, he'd pile his team in the back of his blue Chevrolet station wagon and drop each kid off at their house. But his trick was he always dropped them off about four blocks from their house and make them run on the sidewalk alongside the car. And he would have his window down saying, come on, come on, you're doing four miles an hour, pick it up, pick it up, oh, five miles an hour, now you're at six miles an hour. He would clock every kid until they hit the front door, and then he would shout what the kid's old time was and how he had beat it by three seconds. Those kids were motivated. They were champions. He made them competitors. At the Corcoran Group, I had a rock-solid policy of telling everyone I hired in sales what was expected of them. I simply said, you have to make one deal within the first three months or you can't stay at the business. I applied that religiously as it was a hard and fast rule, but I always made an exception. When I saw the light in someone's eyes, saw them doing everything right and knew it was just a matter of time that they were a slow starter, but they were gonna be a strong finisher, I always made an exception, put more advertising behind them and made sure they succeeded. And what do you know? They wound up always being my most spectacular top salespeople in a couple of years' time. On Shark Tank last season, I invested $50,000 in a product called Comfy. It was pitched on the set by two guys named the Comfy Brothers, and they pitched their product, which is a simple, oversized sweatshirt, blanket kind of a thing, with only two homemade prototypes in the hand. They had no idea what they would sell it for. They had no idea what it would cost to make as they had absolutely no sales of numbers. No numbers, I repeat, no production costs, nothing. But they sold $40 million in their first year, selling these comfies across America. Now, why would I have invested in them? Because I know every once in a while, even what appears to be someone who doesn't have a chance can come in big time. And would you believe they are my most successful, profitable business to date? Number four, I learned from my dad to always ask what I'm worth. My dad always asked for 10% more than what he was offered in any job interview he ever went on. And he used to tell us at home that he asked for the 10% for his respect. That's how he put it. I remember when my sister Janine came home, she worked for Greyhound Company as a pool typist and announced at the dinner table she had gotten a 5% raise and had only been there six months. She was very proud. I remember my dad's response was simply this. Oh, did everybody get a 5% raise? And she said, sure, we all did. And he said, well, are you better than the other girls? And my sister hesitated. She said, yeah, I think I am. And he said, we'll go in there and ask for another 5%. We were shocked, but she marched in there the next day and she got another 5% raise. That's double what all the other girls got. We learned that from my father. At the Corcoran Group as a real estate agent, you're always hit to reduce your commissions. And when I was selling the first five years of the business, people always, always asked me to reduce my commission. I felt embarrassed and didn't know what to say, but I finally learned what to exactly say, which was, well, let me ask my father. If it's okay with him, it's okay with me. Of course, I didn't have a father in the business, but I would wait a day and call back the next day and said, I'm sorry, my father said no. <laughs> ah, I guess that was kind of telling a white lie, but it worked. And I never, ever had to negotiate a single commission. When I sold my business, I was offered $22 million for the business. 
and my attorney who's representing me told me it was an amazing price and I should grab the money and run. But in the end, only three months later, I got $66 million for the business. Why? Because I learned from my dad that I was worth more than the average person. And if they wanted to get my business, that's what they'd have to pay. Of course, I did sell it for $66 million. And at the closing, when they were all baffled and asking why I never budged off the $66 million, I couldn't wait to tell all those fancy attorneys, oh, it's my lucky number. <laughs> Little joke on them. Number five. Last and most importantly, by example from my dad, is the lesson that if you don't like having a boss, you better start your own business. He never did all of his life, but we watched our dad struggle all those years, truly believing that he needed to be in business for himself. It wasn't an option for him, but every one of his kids took that option the minute they had a chance. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, my friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, Barbara, it's Sarah from Richmond, Virginia. I'm a huge fan of you. You've been such an inspiration. I've got a business that has pulled together amazing farmers that are growing in, in a way that is helping to solve climate change, increase uh, food quality, reduce pesticides, everything consumers want today. But I'm struggling with how to get the message out, how to really break through on social media and to reach consumers. So I know you're a marketing genius, so maybe you could give me some tips about how to really get a really positive on-trend message out and get it noticed. So the name of the company is Grounded Growth. Our website is OurGroundedGrowth.com in case that helps with any background. Thanks so much. Bye. Sarah, you've got a wonderful concept there that deserves to be heard. And you're smart to really pause and think, how do I get it heard out there? How do I get that attention? Well, you have a great first start because you have the farmers and everyone likes a farmer. I never heard anybody who said, I don't like farmers, do you? No, everybody likes a farmer. So you already have the beginning of something that's newsworthy, that's meritable, that can get attention because farmers are attractive. But you need to think of a way to use those farmers to grandstand your cause in a visual way, bring it to life so that other people can see it and they'll want to jump on board and join the farmers. You want it to be very visual and obvious and welcoming for other people to come in and join your circle. You'll also need a lot of supporters to make what seems to me like the beginning of a cause take on a life of its own. And for that, you're going to need young people. So you have your farmers to start off with. How do you expand it into a larger circle of people that would believe in the cause? And I believe the kids at your local high school are the answer to that. I think you should invite the kids at your local high school to start to join the hands of the farmers movement and save the environment. That's a worthy cause. The way I see it in my mind's eye is you can have everyone join hands in a giant field, forming a huge human crop circle. You can announce it to the local press or newspapers and radio personalities to come and ask them to bring their cameras and opinions with them. The high school kids can post this remarkable visual on social media and you could use a drone 
The kids can comment with their posts about how they feel about saving the environment and have these great visuals from the sky. By having that available to them and by bringing everybody together, you'll find that you've already started a movement. Hey, Barbara, this is James from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a a registered nurse uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, and I have a question for you. I have about four days off a week. I work 36 hours. That's three 12-hour shifts in a week. And I'm looking to learn how to make some passive income. And uh, just wanted to get some information out there for some other people that might be in my same uh, level of expertise, where a lot of my strengths are really just based in the hospital. So looking for some information and possibly some books or things you might recommend. Thanks a lot, Barbara. Have a great day. Okay, James, here's what comes to mind. First, I always think that the best shot at something new working out is when it's related to something you already do and something that solves a problem. As you sound young and energetic, how about starting a placement service providing part-time nursing services for folks at home? I know lots of people need part-time home care, either temporarily or permanently, and have a very hard time finding good, affordable help. And you can offer them a team of expert nurses, all working together who know each other, and you could work as one cooperating unit. James, you already have the most valuable resource, which are the nurses, all with open hours. You can choose among them the very best and book their services along with yours for as many or as few hours as they're willing to give. In my mind, here's what you'll need to do this well. You'll need to be well-organized to keep a master calendar because that will be the key to the business. You're gonna have to be good on the phone to make potential customers immediately feel comfortable with you and trust you. And you're also going to have to be trusted by your colleagues that you're working with because these are the important ingredients that will build the foundations for a very successful business. You'll also need to set up a website, but today, you know, that's easy on WordPress or Wix. It's cheap and it's easy. And you can start advertising immediately through word of mouth to everyone you meet. Remember, you're in the medical space now, so you're going to meet a lot of people who are going to need home care when they go home. But you'll also need, I believe, a good partner who knows how to drive traffic and find customers through social media. Because if you're really serious about making this a bigger business, you're going to go outside your circle of influence with the nurses that you're working with right now. So if you want your business to grow well beyond word of mouth and who you know now, I think you should also look for a partner that's really good in the social media space. So James, that's my two cents on how to build a business around what you already know. And I believe if you do it, you're going to make a lot of money. Hi, Barbara. My name is Carrie. I'm from Clayton, Delaware, and I'm calling with a question. I am in sales. I've been in sales for 18 years, and I find the hardest part of my sale is the close. I know that it's keeping me from growing my business. I'm actually in medical sales. In some instances, it's very easy. It seems natural to close, but I, for some reason, hate calling out some of my customers in that way. I don't know why that makes me uncomfortable. Um, but I know that I could achieve great things if I did it more. So I think it's the hardest part is closing my friends. So my question is, what is your advice on how to be a good closer? 
that's where the sale is made. And I watch you on Shark Tank every week with my family, and you're fantastic at everything, including the clothes. So thanks again. So advice on being a good closer, particularly if it's in business with friends. I think it's so hard doing business with friends and even harder selling them something. So I get it. The reason is your head and your heart have to be in two places at once. That's a tall order. How do you get your head and your heart in two places at once? Pretty tricky. No one nice is good at it. And speaking for myself, I'm terrible at it selling something or pushing a friend because I don't want to hurt them. But more importantly, I don't want to hurt the friendship. But let's talk about closing 98% of the folks we all sell to in sales, which are not friends, pure business customers, because I'm sure that's where your stock and trade is. You need to learn how to move them along to the I do in a sure and steady way if you want to do well in sales. And I think just in hearing the way you pose your question that your desire to be liked may be in your way. I say this from experience because it stood in my way for the first couple of years I was selling real estate in New York City. For me, it was just more important that the people like and respect me than that I sold them something. And you know, that wasn't so bad because I got a heck of a lot of referrals. Even if I didn't close someone on a deal, they liked me so much they sent all their friends to me. But I learned a few tricks of my own that helped me get over that trough. And I'll share them with you in hopes that they might be helpful to you. They're kind of head tricks and questions that I learned to ask that made me a little bit more comfortable and therefore people a little bit more comfortable when I was going in for the close on a sales call. I would ask myself, myself, not them, do they really need my product? In my instance, it was medical equipment. It was a particular apartment. Do they really need an apartment? The other question I'd ask is, will they like this apartment if they buy it from me? Will they like it? And I had to honestly say most assuredly to myself, yeah, I think they'd really be happy here. I think you could ask in selling your medical equipment, your version of it is, will they like the product if they try it? Is it a good product you're selling? Will they actually like the product if they try it and if they buy it? And if they don't like it, I used to think, I'll take the apartment back, which is ridiculous. You can't sell someone an apartment and then buy it back. I certainly didn't have any money, never mind enough money to buy it back. But I used to say to myself, a little head trick, if they don't like it, I'll find a way to buy it back. And that kind of cleared the road for me to really give it a heave ho, because I felt Like my conscience was so clear and I really thought they liked the product and I asked them to take it. Everyone wants to feel good about what they sell. And if they don't, they shouldn't be selling it. I've never met a salesman who didn't feel good about whatever they were selling and be successful in sales. You can't fake it. But if you do like what you're selling and you like, I'm going to assume you are selling medical equipment that you believe in, then tell the customer from the heart that you really believe in it and want them to try it because you believe it's the right product for them to buy. Say it, just say it and get comfortable with it. I think when you speak from the heart and you strike me, Terry, as an entirely genuine type person, people are gonna hear it. And you might not say that's called a close, but it is a close. You're speaking from your heart that you think they're really going to be happy. And then if they choose not to buy it, they don't want to listen to you, move on to the next customer, no big deal. 
But I think you've just got to like set your words free straight from the heart to the ears of that customer. I think if you focus on your honest conviction rather than thinking about being liked, you'll close a lot more business. I think it happens quite naturally. Where do you listen to Business Unusual? I really want to know. And guess what? If you show me, you might have a chance to spend an hour with me. All you've got to do is post a photo on Instagram showing me the unusual places where you listen to my podcast. Be sure to use the hashtag businessunusual when you post the photo and make sure it's a public account so I can see it. A random winner will get to spend an hour with me on Skype or at my office here in New York City, whichever you prefer. Show me your photos by June 3rd and I'll have fun seeing all the places you listen. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.